all of it, set people up to do pranks. And I get a phone call, yes, and then they all decided, got together and said, hey, let's just actually prank Anne. So the people she rallied together said, we have a better idea. Instead, we're just going to prank her the whole time. So I got a phone call yesterday from Anne going, Melina, the guy, the people that I asked to do pranks, like, did a terrible job. Like, they did nothing. And she's like, these videos? She's like, I've got two. Like, that's it. What do I do? And I was like, I don't know. I guess you're going to have to come up with another first five. And she's like, okay, all right. Uh, and so totally, like, redid this. And so this morning, she walks in, and she's, like, trying to figure out how she's going to pull it all together. And um, it wasn't until, like, the last moment when I was like, hey, um, Darby's going to do first five this morning. And goes, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Something happened. But um, great idea, and I appreciate it. And now um, we have a really special treat for you guys this morning. So we've been walking through um, the Old Testament. Uh, we were talking about the Israelites and um, just saw this pattern of how the Israelites began. Like, they heard from the Lord, and then their job was to obey, how to hear from the Lord and obey. And um, so we kind of, like, took hold of that and kind of said, okay, this is something that we still need to practice um, in our everyday life. Um, and so we kind of dug into that. And so it starts with hearing. Um, so what does it look like to hear from the Lord? And the last two weeks, we've really talked about that. We've talked about it um, in our life groups. And you guys have had some great dialogue um, in those places. And then um, but we just really, I think that's still like a question that we kind of all wrestle with a little bit is what does that look like? How does that look like in my everyday? Um, and John and I believe like this is so important, um, because it's like what changes your everyday. Like you have to learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit, um, to walk in what it looks like to walk with him every day, moment by moment. Um, and this is kind of what it looks like. It's more than just a 30 minute quiet time. It's more than, um, just 10 minutes of praying. Um, it's, Okay, they say, hey, walk with Jesus, like, throughout your entire day, and um, this is how. The key component is hearing from the Holy Spirit and responding um, to what he says. And so we were like, okay, what better way for us to kind of add another layer um, for you guys, but to hear from people that walk this out. Um, so hear from people that experience this and have done this with the Lord um, over years of um, walking with him and people that we've seen, like, um, fruit of that in their lives. And so um, we're just asked them to come and share from experiences so you guys can just hear, hear real-life examples of people that have interacted with the Holy Spirit and walked in obedience. Um, and so we're going to have Anne. She's going to be on the panel. So everybody give it up for Anne just because she was a good sport this whole past week. <laughs> and I just – but I don't know if this tells you guys anything about Anne's life of how she just, like – just goes and nothing matters is like nothing phased her in any of that. It was totally okay. Her bed was moved. It was apparently not okay. Alexa didn't respond, but anyway, love her for that. And then we're gonna have Kendall up here and Mark Clark. (laughs) 
Um, so we only have one microphone, so we're going to kind of be passing. But our goal of this is for them to also um, just have conversation um, with each other around the topic and you guys just to be able to um, listen in and hear about it. But I'm going to have them just kind of introduce themselves, share a little bit about them, um, family, where you're from, how long you've lived in Nacogdoches, all of that. Well, my name's Mark Clark. I've lived here forever. <laughs> that is forever for me. And I've been here in this church for many, many years. And uh, I'm married to my wife, Diana, for 33 years. And we have two children, Wes and Whitney, who is a freshman at SFA. And Wes is out in the workaday world. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, that's who I am. I'm Kendall McDonald. I'm the pastor here. Uh, we've been here for, why is that funny? That's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm also John's boss. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we've been, <laughs> that's right, this uh, we've been here for uh, seven years, and uh, my wife, Lindsay, and I have five kiddos, four at home, uh, one in the West Texas area uh, working in the workaday uh, world, and uh, so that's us. Does that cover Hi, my name's Anne. Um, I'm not observant at all. Um, I've lived in Nacogdoches for six years now, and I think so. I've been, gradu- uh, this is two years past graduation, plus four, that's six. Okay, that's good math. Yeah, thanks, I graduated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's me. I'm from Crockett, Texas originally. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so we're just going to start with the first question, and it's just um, briefly share, like, when your relationship with the Lord started. So when did you, like, enter into a relationship with the Lord? Okay, well, I was saved at the age of 10 years old. Uh, it was on a July the 4th, so that's easy for me to remember that anniversary date. I was in the garage of all places at my home with my dad. And we were either getting ready to go fishing or had been fishing. And I remember we were cleaning up the boat, and uh, which was something we did nearly every weekend. And he knew that the Lord had been dealing with me about uh, my need for salvation. And so I had been reared in church. I knew the way. I knew that I was lost and in need of a Savior. I knew that I needed to repent of my sin. I was feeling very uh, impressed Uh, Now I understand that impression came from the Holy Spirit. He was dealing with me. My dad was a very spiritual man, and he he knew, uh, he could tell when the Spirit was dealing with somebody. And so he led me to Christ right there, uh, of all places, in the garage. We knelt down next to the boat, and I prayed to receive the Lord as my Savior and ask Christ to take over my life, and he did at that time. That's when you became a fisher of men, right? That's right. That's right. I was six years old, um, and uh, in, we used to, uh, kind of like Mark, I uh, was raised in church. My mom and dad started following Jesus when I was young, and they were, I would say, religious and uh, ethical Christians uh, for a lot of their life, but not really following Jesus. And so when I was really young, they got serious about following Jesus and um, so anyway, we would pray um, every night, uh, and uh, we were in my sister's room that night for our family prayer before 
uh, bedtime. And uh, it's the same uh, sort of story as what Mark told, just uh, my mom and dad could just tell there was something deeper going on, wrestling in my heart. And I was uh, really just kind of coming into grips of what sin, the weight of sin and, and what that really meant. And that, that's an interesting moment when the concept of sin and the reality that you're a sinner collide, you know, and uh, that's really what was, what was happening. And, and I recognized I needed a savior and uh, my mom and dad led me to, uh, led me to Christ uh, when I was six. So I was young. Um, so for me, I grew up in the church and um, went, just had like a lot of moments in my life where I would kind of like, when I was little, I was like really afraid of going to hell. And, you know, like people told you, you could pray this prayer and the Lord will like save you and all that stuff. And so I had done that like over and over and over and over and over again. And um, just like altar call after altar call altar call after altar call. And then when I was in junior high, I remember I was in the back of, like it was youth group night, and I was in the back of the auditorium. And I remember just like being in the middle of worship and the Lord just like revealed it to me that my life apart from him was worthless, that being separated from him, like I had nothing to offer the world, like my life really didn't, wouldn't amount to like anything that lasted. And just like life Honestly, I just remember realizing life isn't worth living apart from God. And so that was the moment I surrendered my life to the Lord. I love, like, just hearing all of this, like, the journey of walking with the Holy Spirit, like, started at salvation. And I think um, a lot of college students, I sit with them and um, begin listening, and they just say, like, I don't believe, like, I've ever experienced the Holy Spirit, ever heard of the Holy Spirit. And I just kind of go okay, like, let's talk about the moment you got saved, like, and go back to that place. And I love how, Mark, where you said, like, I now know that was the Holy Spirit. Like, I now know that was the Holy Spirit's pursuit in my life and how um, we get to, sometimes when we're even totally unaware, like, when we don't even know what that is, um, the Holy Spirit, like, still is active and pursues us. And, like, that started, like, the moment, like, he started pursuing us for salvation, and that moment is when we said, okay, like, I acknowledge this is him, and um, so if you're sitting here going, man, I know that I'm a believer, and I surrendered my life, but I don't know if I've ever heard from the Holy Spirit, like, he was there and is a part of, like, your story and started, like, in that moment that he was present, and so it's just, for me, that was, like, a good acknowledgement of me going, oh, that's who, like, that's what that was, and that's what it um, looked like, and so um, something for you guys just to kind of look at and be able to have a marker in your life of a time that you have, like, experienced Holy, the Holy Spirit if you haven't, if you've accepted Jesus, like, as your Lord and Savior, um, and so the next question is, like, um, I think Holy Spirit has, like, lots of thoughts and opinions, and, like, there's everybody all over different places, and, um, but, what so I think this is an important question for them to answer is um, compare and contrast like your first perception of the Holy Spirit and um, just like what you thought about when you heard that word um, and kind of what you think about it now like how does what does that look like? Well, of course I'm much older than any of you in here, so I've been through. Um, a lot of history with teaching about the Holy Spirit, especially in the Baptist church world. I, this used to be the auditorium of the church that extended all the way to the front doors. I heard the gospel in this room. Um, 
this is my place of learning that and in Sunday school and so forth. So I knew the message quite clearly because I'd heard it all my life. And back then, we a lot of times read from the King James Version of the Bible. And so <clears throat> different translations didn't come along till until uh, I was probably junior high and high school before we began really considering other translations of the Bible. So <clears throat> there was a word in there to describe the Holy Spirit interpreted in the English, and it was the word ghost. And so in the King James, many times we refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. And I think that that gave us a a false sense of who he is, just the interpretation of that word. I don't like to use that word in conjunction with the Holy Spirit anymore. But even the word spirit a lot of times I think kind of conjures up an ethereal point of view about the personhood of the Holy Spirit, that he's kind of a, a ghostly figure, if you will, the spirit figure that we can't quite grasp and get a hold of. So I think that that gave a lot of misconception at first. And in my young life as a believer, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around who this, who this Holy Spirit was. But as I progressed in my relationship with the Lord, and especially as I learned the word better and better and better, I understand that he is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is a person. Uh, I refer to him as him uh, because he has personhood. And so that kind of takes that ethereal point of view down, I think, and it puts us on a more real plane where when the Spirit of the Lord is dealing with me about anything, it's a real person who is dealing with me in the spiritual realm. I don't see him, but in the spiritual realm, he is a person. And I think that that's key to understanding and that has kind of uh, done away with a lot of misconception when I began to really understand the personhood of who he is, how he relates to the Father, how he relates to the Son. And then I see him in Scripture as he is promised uh, by Jesus, especially in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. Then I see him in the epistles as the epistle writers write about him and how he responds to us with the work of the Spirit, all of those things. So I think a lot of times we have a mystified point of view of him that we should not have and that we need to view him as he truly is and as he is depicted in the Word. Did any of you ever, just when you were uh, started to learn of the Holy Spirit, did any of you ever hear, hear him first referred to as the Holy Ghost? Just curious. Show of hands, like who... That was kind of your first introduction. That's interesting. That was mine too, and um, and I'm uh, was I grew up Methodist. So when I was a kid, I mean, all the way until I was in my junior year of high school, I, was, I went to a Methodist church, and uh, very much in that tradition, the Holy Ghost, that phrase is still very much used. And so for me, it was it was just omission. Like I, it wasn't that I had a poor theology of the Holy Spirit, it was that I had no real theology of the Holy Spirit. I had no practical working of the Holy Spirit. So growing up as a believer, obviously, as Mark said, that you, you don't come to Christ absent the Holy Spirit. So I had interacted with the Holy Spirit, but because I had no framework for understanding his work, the times where the Spirit of God would get involved in my life were really disruptive times in my faith. 
For example, when I would, when I would struggle with sin, how many of you know that the Holy Spirit does not let you just sin? That they're, the, part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to make you aware of that sin. And so I would be participating in sin, and there was this friction against that, which was the Holy Spirit, but because I had no real practical way of understanding that what he's doing is he's trying to lead me to repentance, what it did is it just was kind of confusing for me. It was my conscience was was wrong or, uh, you know, I, I just, I know I'm not supposed to do this. It was, it became a moral thing. I'm not supposed to do this and a behavior thing. And so I would just quit trying to do that bad behavior because I felt bad about it. I had no clue that the person of the Holy Spirit was leading me to repentance, to restore relationship with him. And right. And so there's all that depth that I was missing. So a lot of my interaction with the Holy Spirit was, was quite confusing. Um, and, uh, so it wasn't until I was 21, 22, when I just kind of got really dissatisfied in my Christian life and through God's grace, not because I went, I know what the problem is. It's my theological understanding of the Holy Spirit. Like that, that didn't happen. But what God began to do in my dissatisfaction, a lot of it had to do with sin and a lot of it had to do with just what I was reading in here. I could find nowhere in my life in, except for salvation. It's like, okay, I, I feel like that has happened. I feel really good about it. But everything else that I saw in the scriptures that was happening uh, in the book of Acts, for example, in the church, I could find nowhere in my life. The, the power, the authority, the wisdom, the, the, the righteousness, I could find it nowhere in my life. And I just began to kind of go, okay, something's missing. And that missing thing was the Holy Spirit. And it was kind of through this process when I was in my 20s of God really opening my eyes to exactly what Mark just said, who the Holy Spirit is as a person. And drawing me in into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He'd been there all along, but he was such a stranger that when he spoke, I didn't know who it was. Um, and so it was just kind of began this, this okay, there's a, there is God in me, the Holy Spirit, that wants to lead me. And I'm going to start trying to practice that relationship. And that's really, for me, where things totally changed and, and took off in terms of my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, for me, I, um, I don't really know how I got here. I like how I got to this understanding when I was a new believer, but I somehow attributed the Holy Spirit to an emotion. And I like came into this belief that when, you know, like when you're like reading scripture and then you just like get all full of happiness and joy and you're just like, ooh, this is so good. Or you're like in the middle of worship and it happens or and you're like they, you just become overwhelmed with emotion. I attributed that to <clears throat> the Holy Spirit saying like, I'm with you and like, I'm proud of you and I love you. And then when that wasn't around or when I didn't feel that in a day, it was the opposite, which is like, he's left, I screwed up, like, I have to go repent and, like, ask pretty, pretty please, please come back. And um, that was, like, really hard for me. Um, and just especially because my salvation story, like I just said, like, the Lord had revealed, like, life apart from me, like, isn't worth anything, you know? And so then I'm like, you just keep leaving <laughs> and I can't have you leave because then like I don't have anything like when you're not here, like I don't have anything. And so that kind of um, led me to this place of, all right, God, like I don't really want a relationship with you. Like you're God of the universe, but like this relationship thing sucks. <laughs> and so I'm out. Count me out. Um, 
And the Lord took me through this huge process of showing me just like his faithfulness and his steadfastness and how like that idea was completely wrong and how he is not a feeling. He is a person that has promised to always be with us and to always lead us. And his voice isn't an emotion, um, but it like comes from scripture and it's based on scripture and it's his character and all of these things that we'll get a lot more into in a second. So I love how it was like in all three of their stories, it's a process and, but it's a pro like, it's a process that, um, they've like walked through and they're kind of on the other side of like this place of hope. And I think some of you in this room are at the very beginning of that process. Um, and I just want you to find hope, like just even in their story that the Lord, like as you're seeking and searching to figure out who this person is and how do you hear from him, um, don't just like give up and get frustrated. Um, continue to just press in and seek because like he's a person that will be found. Um, and I think that's what you just hear in their story. And not only is he found, but like he, it was like he pursued them in the midst of their struggle. Like he per pursued them in the midst of their searching and deep. Um, Kendall talked about just deep searching in his soul of who he was and what it looked like. And he was a part of that and he was good in it um, throughout the entire time. And so I just want, um, I hope that that is an encouragement to you guys that um, as they wrestled with what living a life like um, surrendered to the Holy Spirit and figuring out who this person is and what this relationship looks like, that um, he was totally present and good throughout the whole process. And now is like they get to see kind of on the other side of that wrestling match and that battle and get to see like the Lord's goodness and intimacy, even in that place, like even in the place of the wrestling. I think you can hear them all say like God was a part of that and was good to me and was present. Um, and so if you're there, if you're kind of wrestling with that going, okay, I've heard John speak about this for the last two weeks, and I'm still wrestling. It still hasn't clicked yet. It's okay. <laughs> like, it is okay that you're still wrestling and still searching, but keep wrestling and searching and digging in um, to figuring out what this life in the Spirit looks like because it is so, so good and worth it. And I think um, the rest of our questions that you'll get to see, um, you'll get to see the fruit of that and get to see the goodness of the Lord in that process. And so... Do you also see, though, a problem? I mean, I just, I don't want you to miss that. Do you see a problem? I mean, we've got several different, different generations represented here, and all of us were missing it. I mean, and that, I think one of the reasons why this is so important for us to communicate to you now is because we just, we don't want to go another generation without emphasizing who the Holy Spirit is. We don't want you to have to do it the way that we had to do it, and which was kind of this... It, it shows the faithfulness of God, and I do hope you're encouraged, but I also hope you know that what we're trying to do is push this with you so that it becomes part of your normal Christian upbringing, that it's not this gap where you have to wrestle with and then rediscover who the Holy Spirit is, and we want you to be empowered as you are sharing the gospel with others to in all of that be talking about the Holy Spirit and His presence and His life within a believer, because that ought to be the, you know, when we share the gospel with people, it's not just Jesus for salvation for heaven someday, it's Jesus for salvation and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you to empower the Christian life that Jesus has called you to. And that ought to be very much in our gospel presentation. And for all of us, that was sort of missing. And, uh, and I think we need to see the problem there 
so that we focus our attention in the right, in the right spot, right? That's good. So if you wonder why John and I are always on the soapbox, that's why. <laughs> if you wonder why they're like, man, they just want, can we learn about something else? And we go, no, 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 you can't because you got to figure this out first. <laughs> um, so the next question is, how does the Holy Spirit play a role in your everyday life? Well, <clears throat> first of all, I don't have it all nailed down. And the second part of that is, in this lifetime, we will never have it all nailed down. Okay, we'll have an understanding, and we will grow more and more mature. Okay, that should be our aim and our goal, and that's that's what should be happening in our Christian life. But you will never arrive. So I don't ever want to leave the impression that I've got it all down. I listen to him every day. Uh, I know exactly what he's telling me to do every moment of the day, and I respond immediately in obedience because that does not happen. So to answer your question, let me give you kind of an illustration of how this goes about in my daily life. I'm a businessman, and so I meet with people all the time. I'm in the insurance business, so I'm meeting with people all day long, all the time, and I'm helping to solve personal financial problems for them and their families. So... What I've come to understand is how the Lord works with me in my business every day is, first of all, I see every appointment, or I should see every appointment as a divine appointment. So I'm coming into contact with people every day. It's not by accident. I understand that. So the Holy Spirit is dealing with me about not only how I can help them in the physical realm, but how do I help them spiritually as well? Is there a gospel conversation in all of this business that we're doing? Sometimes there is, sometimes it's not. Sometimes I'm there to help them. And that is helping, believe it or not, to deliver the gospel to them. Because if I interact with them in an ethical way and genuinely try to put their interest ahead of my interest and help to solve their problem, now I have opened the door for a relationship with that person so that I can have a deeper level of conversation maybe with them or they have another problem that they feel comfortable telling me about. This is how the Spirit works in my life, even today on a daily basis, is I understand that what's happening to me and what's happening with you is you're on the campus and whatever it is that you do in your life you're, he's putting you in contact with people for a very specific reason. Sometimes it's just opening the door to a relationship, all, all of those things. Sometimes it's much deeper than that. But learning to listen to him and follow him is a daily, it's a, it's a, it's daily work. And I know that the word is the primary way in which he's going to communicate with me. So if I'm absent the word of God, during my day, then I have put myself at a severe disadvantage from being able to hear him throughout the day because it's going to be the Word of God that's going to be quickened to my mind and in my heart and cause me to respond, okay? Well, I think for me, at the very beginning, like when I first, when I was telling you I was 21, 22, and I first went, okay, Holy Spirit, let's do it. My primary understanding of the way the Holy Spirit was going to work is to tell me to do things. 
you know, we talk about, have you ever heard the word obedience in church before? We talk about it all the time, right? So my thinking was, okay, here's what obedience is. Obedience is doing what you're told. And that's the environment I grew up in, doing what you're told. So my expectation of what the Holy Spirit was going to do is he was going to tell me to do things. And I wanted to do those things. I was so excited about just kind of this fresh understanding of who the Holy Spirit was that I was totally focused on what he was going to tell me to do. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, and, and there's one problem in this panel. We all kind of work here in some way, and I want to make sure that you understand that that's not why we were picked to be up here and emphasize what Mark said is that we don't have it all together. And, and I don't know what your perception is of us because we work here. We don't walk around on a cloud all the time with like this light from heaven constantly telling us what to do and where to go and whatever. But, but in all sincerity, that was part of my understanding of, okay, this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Now that, I'm, now that I know he's there, that's what he's going to do. Well, you can imagine that's not the normal everyday experience. And so I would jump off into this, all right, God, tell me what to do. And then nothing. So it's like, wait a minute, what in the world's going on? So that caused an immediate problem in my relationship with the Holy Spirit is that he would sometimes tell me what to do. And I found great satisfaction and fulfillment and, and love for the Lord in doing what he said to do. But it was not the primary thing that he was doing. And I thought it was the only thing that he did. So in good discipleship, I learned that the primary thing that the Holy Spirit is doing is he's making me like Jesus. That that's what, he's, that's what he's doing first, is that he's developing my character into the character of Jesus. He's not developing me to be a morally good person. He's making me like Jesus on the inside to where my nature is like his nature. And that is then the primary way in which I'm evidence to the world of, of the gospel is that I relate to people like Jesus would relate to people. I speak to people like Jesus would speak to people. That's what he's wanting to do. When I discovered that that was the first thing he was doing, I got into Second Peter and it talks about all these different character traits that are supposed to be developing in my life. That's when it was like, oh my goodness, if that's what you're doing, then I'm going to pay attention to that. And what I realized was he was doing that all the time because he's, you know, God talks about himself as a father and, and a father deals with his children in processes, not, not in moments of telling them what to do. There are moments where as a father... I tell my children what to do. And the less mature they are, the more often that happens. But as they grow in maturity, what I'm trying to do over a process of time is I'm trying to make them like me in a way that's uniquely them so that they can leave my home mature. Does it make sense? I'm bringing maturity in my children. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in me. And it wasn't until I discovered that, that what he's doing is he's making me like Jesus, like a father does. He's working in the context of my life and processes. And I woke up to that reality and I discovered, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit is active in every corner of my life. I just wasn't looking for him there. I was waiting for my boss to tell me what to do. All the while, my father's right there leading me in a process of becoming like him. And that was a huge light bulb for me and really changed the dynamic of my relationship with him. For <laughs> Can you reminded of the yeah. question I talked so long? Is yeah, uh, there you go. Thanks. Um, for me, in my everyday life, um, the Holy Spirit, I just... So, for me, I think it's, it's just... Sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. 
<laughs> English. Um, it, it's really like I try my best every day to like wake up and like surrender my day to the Holy Spirit and just say, whatever you have today, Lord, like I'm about it. And I try to do that throughout my day and like make space for the Holy Spirit to speak and like ask for the Holy Spirit to like give me eyes to see people and give me like hearts, a heart to know people. And in that, what I see in my life is there will be moments where it's like Kendall was saying, and it's like direct, like go, like there's a person over there crying and like go like love them and go care for them. Um, And like, here's what you need to say even sometimes, you know, and then there's other times where it's just subtle, you know, and it's um, like spontaneous, like I'm driving in my car and like it's beautiful outside and like worship is just like what starts like coming out of my mouth, you know, and like that's from the Holy Spirit. Or there's other moments where um, just like being led to like pray throughout the day or um, just like meeting with girls and being able to encourage them. And so I think the Holy Spirit, like I think for me personally, it's just important that I make room to like acknowledge the Holy Spirit throughout my day and interaction with him really happens in like those moments. But he's also very faithful in the midst of my craziness to like still press pause and to still there'll be moments where things happen and I'll look back on it at the end of the day or at the end of the week and I'll like be able to be like oh that was the Holy Spirit because like that was his character this is how like he shaped his like the person of Jesus on the inside of me throughout the week and so All right, I'm going to pull an audible. So here's a question that's not, they didn't get prepped for this one. So give them some grace if it's. So this is something that we have talked um, kind of a lot about in this room where um, I feel like our generation, um, we we kind of swing on this pendulum of like uh, legalism, read your Bible. We went into this like 30 minutes every day, check the boxes. And then I feel like this generation kind of was like on the other side of the pendulum where it was like, it's okay if you don't do that. It's okay if you don't read scripture. It's okay if that, like, it's okay if you get so busy, like the excuses were made okay um, to where we now like have walked with Jesus for three years and still have like no idea what scripture says or still have no idea like how to pray. Um, how have you guys like found the, the middle ground? Like how have you found the daily walking with Jesus being disciplined and, um, but not falling into this category of legalism, um, but enhancing your relationship, um, with walking with the Holy spirit and walking with the Lord. How is that kind of like come together in your life? Me first? Yeah, you go first. Okay. <laughs> um, I was reared under a system of a lot of legalism. So I understand that, and that's something that I still combat today because I have these feelings of guilt and shame a lot of times when I don't measure up, when I don't do the 30 minutes, when I don't this, when I don't that. Sometimes life and the rhythm of life, you don't get to do those disciplines like you would like to. It just happens. 
You know, life happens. The day takes place, and that's okay. What I've come to understand is that's all right. Uh, you know, the Lord is going to, uh, I know enough that he is going to take care of me, and he is going to give me their answers when I need them as I submit myself to him. I think that's probably the most important discipline that maybe we don't, that we kind of slide over is that discipline of submission and understanding that I need to be submitted before the Lord. Now, I need all those other things as well. I need to be in the Word. I need to be praying. I need to be doing all those things, and I should practice them, okay? But if you don't get to do those things, it doesn't mean that you've failed. God will, God never fails, right? So if the Holy Spirit is in me, and he is because he came into me when I accepted Christ as my Savior, then he has given me all things, and he teaches me all things, and he leads me at all times. The key is submission. So whether we can check all the boxes every day and do everything right every day, we should strive for that, but at the same time, when we miss that mark, know that the probably the most important thing, in my estimation, that we can do is submit ourselves uh, to, to listen to him, to walk in his steps, you know, and uh, do those things. So, yeah, I see that pendulum. That pendulum is swung, and that pendulum will always swing. I've been around long enough to see it happen both ways, okay? We're going to go both ways, and that's just, that's just human nature. That's just us as human beings trying to do something that is very uh, non-human, if you will, okay? So that pendulum is going to continue to swing, but don't ever give up on the discipline of submission. Submit, 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 and that's hard. I'm going to tell you, that's hard. That's especially hard for me as a man to do. Let me talk to the guys for just a minute because, <clears throat> you know, men and women are wired different. We learn different. Our attention spans are different. Ours is about this long. Theirs is this long. You know, so a lot of times getting into these deep Bible studies and reading the Bible for a long time and all that, it's hard. It's hard for me to do, and I've, been, and I've done these things for a long time. So, you know, that's okay. That's okay. The Lord will work with you. The Holy Spirit will work through you, in you, as you are, like you are. The most important thing to do is just submit to his will and let him begin to teach you. So don't feel like you've got to do everything like everybody else has to do it. Because people are wired different. And people respond different. We're We've got different personality traits, and we've got different emotional levels and all of this. So, so just submit to him, you know, rely on him, listen to him, and, uh, and I think that that's probably the most important step. You don't want to say anything? Yeah, I can. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, cool. Thanks. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think for me, um, I used to think that if I didn't feel like reading the Bible and I made myself do it, that it was like legalism, you know, like if I don't feel like doing this and like the desire is not there to do it, then that's legalism. And I don't want like any part of legalism. So I just won't do it. You know, like that was my 
thought process in that. And I remember one day it like dawned on me that it was about like the heart behind like doing it. Um, that love a lot of times is sacrifice. And I love the Lord. And so like sacrificing my desire to not do it, you know, and just like do it um, out of love for the Lord and out of a desire to know him. And so I think for me, that was something that really helped sit, like stop that pendulum from swinging so largely was realizing it's the heart behind when I sit down to read scripture that like makes it legalism or not legalism. And if I sit down to read it and I don't feel like reading it, but I read it because I want to encounter the Lord and I want to know him more and I want him to transform my life, like that's what it's about. And so. Yeah, I just would add just to them. I, that's that's really interesting uh, Anne's perspective, and I think you guys, a lot of you probably can identify with that. You guys live in a uh, kind of post-truth relativistic world where whatever you think's right is right. And the danger of that, w- that when it creeps within the church, is that obedience becomes optional, right? That Jesus says to do this, but if I don't really believe that that's what I'm supposed to do, that's not, reading my Bible is not good for me. That's good for that older generation. Reading my Bible, being disciplined is not good for me, so I'm not going to do it. Jesus will love me anyway. That kind of attitude can't creep into the church because um, there, uh, for Jesus to ask us to do something is never legalistic. It's always for our thriving in relationship with him. And so we can't make obedience optional. And th- the other side of that, though, too, is you need to set your expectations right. Um, and I've learned this. This is just, and sorry for all the parent-child uh, stuff. we got a lot of kids, and I learn a lot from those kids um, and from being a, a parent. But, but th- I am not going to accomplish the work that I want in my children uh, in 30 minutes at the very beginning of one morning. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to sit down with any of my, uh, my children and in 30 minutes, bring have transformed them, and then, you know, it's not going to happen. Transformation occurs over years of interaction with them. And I think once I kind of got out of my head that I've got to walk away from time with the Lord with some magical floating on the cloud experience. I've got, it's got to be emotional or there's got to be, I've got to learn something that I never knew before. Once I kind of just mailed that in and said, that can't, that's not an expectation that should be here. And my expectation was just, I'm going to do what God says. And I'm going to believe that over time and consistency that he's going to do what he wants in me, that made showing up a whole lot different. That made the morning a whole lot different. Because there's sometimes, like, I seriously, I just finished numbers. And nothing happened to me. (laughs) That I can, you know, that I can go, oh, when I was in numbers 20, that's when God really, you know, it was in that census that God really showed up. You know, I, that, not true. But here's what I believe, that over time and consistency of getting into the truth of God, the, his story as he's interacted with his people over time, that that's going to have tremendous impact on me. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to do what God has accomplished or, or has set it out to accomplish. It's going to change me. And, and I'm going to know him more. And the next question, or one of the questions is about distinguishing his voice. I want to tell you, knowing him is a huge factor in distinguishing his voice. So showing up day in and day out helps us know him and distinguish his voice. 
That's good. Thanks for touching on that because I was going to skip that question. So, but because we're running out of time. Um, So, uh, just we're going to finish on one last question. And I think um, as we're trying to figure this out, there's going to be some times when we don't get it right. Um, there's going to be some times when we hear from the Holy Spirit and we don't obey or that we think we hear from the Holy Spirit and we didn't and we get in a big pickle or a big mess. Um, how do you guys deal with like, how have you dealt with like either disobedience or hearing wrong, not really knowing, um, for these students who I feel like are really going, okay, I'm going to just go for it, figure it out. Um, how do you wrestle and deal with the, um, the mistakes or the not so great fairy tale stories? Well, I think first of all, the key is to understand that not all voices that you hear is the Spirit of God. And the Bible's quite clear about that, and the gospel writers are quite clear about that. So we have to always be on guard and be able to uh, discern what is truth and what is not truth. Well, where do we find truth? The truth is found in the Word of God. The Spirit of God is going, always going to speak to me through the Word of God. And anything that he tells me to do, any instruction that he gives me, will line up with God's Word. So knowing God's Word is essential. Now, does that we don't know it all at the beginning, and I will promise you I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning, and we still will not know it all, even all the way until the end. So it's not just having a full knowledge that I know everything in the Word, then I'll be able to distinguish in the Word if it's the Spirit of God or not. No, what you do is, first of all, is if you're unclear that what is being said to you, what you feel impressed to do, you have some kind of question, there's some kind of anxiousness about it, go to the Word. I will promise you, He will lead you to the place where you need to be in the Word of God to help you to understand This is the Spirit of God, or it is not the Spirit of God. But the key to understanding is, first and foremost, not everything that we hear, not every voice that's speaking in our heads is is the Holy Spirit, even as Christians. It's not always the Holy Spirit. So we have to be discerning about that, and we have to go to the Word of God to make sure that what I'm hearing is in line with the truth of God's Word. That That means that Truth is not relative, right? Truth is absolute. If I don't believe that, if I don't practice that, if I don't understand that, then I can be led astray by all kinds of things. I have to understand the Word of God is the absolute truth. It is my landmark that the Spirit of God is always going to speak from and take me back to. Yeah, I would add to that, too. When I heard people say that, that was really, that was, um, you said it wonderfully, but it was somewhat confusing to me because I thought that that meant that when God spoke, he would speak in chapter verse, that God would always, when he spoke, he would always say, in Genesis 1, verse 13, it says, blah, 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 and that's how the Spirit would speak to me. A huge discovery for me is what's actually in the scriptures. Well, what's in the scriptures? It's God's heart, willingness, and intent. It's a story of God as he's interacted with people. So what do we get to know in the scriptures? We get to know who God is. Again, it's a nature thing. It's who, what is his nature, a relationship with him. So when we say, we say it a lot in church that God will never speak in contradiction to his word. 
What we're talking about is that God will never speak in contradiction to who he has revealed himself to be and how his people are to be in relationship with him in the word. God is not always going to speak to you by quoting exactly from the ESV. But God will never uh, relate to you outside of who he is. And what the enemy is going to do in those deceptive voices and what we, what we will do is we will, we will step outside of the boundaries of Scripture. The enemy steps outside. He will even quote chapter or verse but twist it and distort it to be contrary to God's nature. So again, it's why when you get in the Word, you've got to get to know God because knowing Him is a huge filter. Um, and I, I just saw this in my, in my mom one time. And I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. And my cousin had uh, put his hands through plate, a plate glass door. He was like, I don't know, three, and had put his hands through a plate glass door, and we had to rush into the emergency room. It was this big mess. And we're waiting in the emergency room. He was back uh, dealing with the doctor. It was this tiny little emergency room in Kingsland, Texas. Anybody know Kingsland, Texas? Nope. Um, one, shout out. Um, anyway, so we're sitting in this tiny emergency room. There's this other family in there, um, and uh, something had happened to their kid, and he was back in the room, and uh, mom and dad were out in the waiting room, and mom was just uncontrollably sobbing. So my mom and I are out there waiting for my cousin. And, uh, and I just, I, all I remember is I noticed, I just knew that something was stirring in my mom. She was getting fidgety and I just knew something's going on next to me. I didn't know what it was. So I'm just kind of observing this. And, and then across the room, another woman goes and uh, gathers this mom and dad who were grieving over whatever's happened with their child and begins to pray with them, hugs them, prays them. This complete stranger just interacts with them. In that moment, my mom just totally falls apart, just breaks down tr- crying, was so sad, so grieved. After we left, I mean, it was just weird. I'm just watching all this stuff happen. And, and after we left, um, she shared with me, she said, the Holy Spirit asked me to go pray. And I said, no. My mom's sharing this with me. And it so grieved her, not because she didn't do the right thing. It grieved her because she loved the Lord so much and he asked her to do something. He asked her to, to extend his graciousness and she said no and it grieved her. That for me, you know, we're talking about uh, where he did not obey. Uh, that for, as a kid, I saw that happen and I, and I just realized my mom was so grieved because she loved the Lord, not because she just did the wrong thing. God didn't go, you fool, why didn't you, why didn't you do it? But God dealt with her in that disobedience in a relational way. And in her grief of quenching the spirit, he restored her. And even part of that restoration was her talking to her child about what had happened. Um, so I got to see it play out really practically of, of even the moments where we fail. What does that look like? And God is still merciful and good. And the spirit even deals with us in our disobedience. But I would say, Start with a yes. That's the biggest thing. Start with a yes. Don't start with a no, God, you're going to have to prove yourself before I go do. Start with a yes and let the mistakes work themselves out in the context of relationship. Yeah. Uh, for me, I actually like had an experience similar to your mom. I it was my junior year of college and I uh, saw a lady in the bathroom that was blind at an airport. And I just remember noticing her and kind of like my heart moving with compassion and then we go to board our plane, and she's, like, sitting in the front row, and I'm, like, walking to the back because I'm with all my golf teammates, and we're flying southwest, and we all go to the back so we can all sit together. And I remember making eye contact with her and the Lord saying, like, pray for healing over her. And I darted to the back of that plane, like, fast. Um, 
And I sat down, and, like, it's a 45-minute flight from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. And, like, I cried the whole flight. Um, but just in that, like, the Lord's, like, it's been something I've, like, wrestled with. And I've really, like, had to process through. And something where years later, um, like, from that moment, like, I've cried about it. Just because, like... I was so upset that I had, like, said no to the Lord, and I was so upset because I knew what the Lord could have done in that moment for that woman, and, like, I said that I didn't want to be a part of it, and um, just loving that woman and loving the Lord and knowing who the Lord is and believing in him and um, all of those things, but um, in that process, the Lord, one of the things like, I've just had to continually remind myself of, is that, like, the Lord is gracious, um, and he is merciful, and, um, he sees that woman, and he knows that woman, and, um, like, he cares for her, and my disobedience can't change that, and it can't change, um, the work that he wants to do in her life, and so... Cool. Well, thank you, guys. I super appreciate it. I'm gonna let you guys go so you can, um get to where they need to go because Kendall's got to preach here in a little bit. <laughs> Don't skip. Yeah. Well, I think there's, um, even on that last question, um, something that I just want to share with you guys that the Lord taught me in that process was just that repentance is okay. Like he has set up a process um, in a way where like if there is disobedience that occurs, if there is like He's already, like, come up with the solution, um, and it's a process of repentance, and I think um, our, I, for a long time, had a really, hated that word. I was like, oh, I don't feel like I want to, like, tell somebody I have to repent, or um, it was like, if you did something, like, your sin was, like, super bad, that that is, like, what called for repentance, but it's, like, anything um, that is disobedience, like, the Lord asks us to, like, step into this conversation of repentance, and it's in that conversation conversation of, um, and being able to confess to the Lord of like that moment on the plane where there was disobedience and just starting that conversation, um, is where restoration occurs. And it brings the Lord into the conversation where he gets to teach you in that moment. Um, and I used to run from it. I used to go, Oh, don't want to have, like, don't want to have that conversation with the the Lord swerve. Like, let's just not, like, we're just going to not think about that moment. We're not going to pray about that moment. Um, and then I just felt like I was always running from it instead of like initiating because we're people that avoid confrontation all the time. Um, but going to the Lord and saying, okay, I'm just going to acknowledge that this occurred um, in my heart and I need you to come and restore and teach me and love me through this. And like that was like where I learned and where I got to um, be able to repent and like receive forgiveness and be restored and be able to walk in relationship with the Lord again and not feel like I have to go like hide under a rock anymore. Um, and I got to deal with those emotions of guilt and shame. And, um, but if we don't ever enter into that conversation, we just continue to walk around with it. And then we walk into like continued fear of obedience. Um, cause you're like, Oh, uh, 
kind of, you know, like when you and your friend have a conflict, you just like, it's like really awkward conversation or really awkward small talk. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, Where that kind of occurs with the Lord and kind of, I just go now, I'm like, okay, let's just avoid all that mess and let's just go talk about it. Let's just go talk about the sin that's occurring in my life or that disobedience that occurred and that the process of repentance is sweet and it's good and there's a reason why he put it into place. And it's one of my favorite things about the Lord. But we're going to stop there because we have five minutes um, to get there. And uh, But we have the office coming up on Wednesday and love to see you guys. So see y'all in a little bit.